Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald Dramatized by Robert Forrest Episode 1 The doorbell chain moves gently. It is long and ornate, only brass, surely. And the heavy ball on the end makes it swing like a slow pendulum. Inside this house, I suppose one might call it American cheerful Georgian palatial. Inside are two old friends I hardly know at all. French windows glow with the reflected gold of afternoon. The door, after half a minute, is opened by a butler. Daisy? Daisy, are you in here? She's not far away. Oh, uh, hello. I'm Nick Carraway, a friend of Daisy and Tom. I was sure you must be. A cousin, is it? Uh, Not a close one. But close enough to be friends. Indeed. The uh, butler directed me in here. I can tell you a secret about that butler. He used to be a silver polisher. He had to polish a service of hundreds of pieces, absolute hundreds, from morning till night. It affected his nose. Affected it how? Horribly. He had to give up that position. Uh, Do you have a headache? No. It's just, it's very dim in here. It is absolutely blazing outside. Well, may we open one shutter, perhaps? You live in West Egg. That's right. Not in this more fashionable egg. I know someone there. In the unfashionable egg. I don't know anyone yet. You must know Gatsby. I've only been on Long Island a week. But you must know Gatsby. Gatsby? What Gatsby? Good God, it's pitch dark in here. Let's have some light. Mm, Listen, candles. Let's have candles. Let's be romantic and gorgeous. Absolutely. (laughs) So Daisy lights candles and Tom mixes cocktails for three. The other young woman is Jordan Baker, champion golfer, and she's in training. Will not drink. She is absolutely in training. We are in the candlelit sitting room of a colonial mansion, which used to belong to Domain, the oil man. Its lawn begins at the beach, a quarter of a mile away. There are sundials and red brick walkways outside where it is blazing, and a sunken Italian garden, and other gardens including a full half acre of roses, while a silver motorboat bumps the dock. My little place across the water I rent for $80 a month. Nick, listen. I am paralyzed with happiness at seeing you again. (laughs) Bless you, Daisy. <laughs> we hear you're engaged. Mm. No, no, I'm too poor to be engaged. But we heard it from, what, three different people? At least. Then it must be true. The bands were published by gossip only. Mm-hmm. And you're in bonds now, is that right? Right. Who with? Uh, Probity Trust. <laughs> no, never heard of him. <laughs> well, you will, if you stay in the East. Oh, I'll stay in the East. If you want a place like this... You... East is where to be. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you I've converted the garage to stables? I've heard of it done the other way around. 
And you're the absolute first, Tom, to do it the other, other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, you won't take a drink, but I swear the way you talk. (laughs) Let's hope you spend more weekends with us, huh? A bit of home and family will be good for you. Mm. Jordan's only family, Nick, is one aunt, about a thousand years old. (laughs) (laughs) Tom hasn't changed so very much since I knew him at Yale. 30 now and a little thicker at the waist, but the same sturdiness, the straw-colored hair, the hard mouth and the arrogant eyes. He still gives the impression of always leaning forward aggressively. His voice has always had that touch of contempt in it, and the smile says, you don't have to agree with me just because I'm stronger and richer and more of a man than you'll ever be. There were quite a few at college who hated his guts. I wasn't one of them. I always thought he approved of me and wanted my approval in return. And is there a vague wistfulness in him, too? He was one of the most powerful ends who ever played football at Yale. Maybe he yearns for the dramatic turbulence of some long-ago game. Long ago, not to be recovered. I stayed a few days in Chicago on my way here, Daisy. I have messages of love for you from a dozen people. Oh, they really miss me? And they have the left rear wheels of their cars painted black. <laughs> their morning wreaths. Gorgeous. I'll take it. I, uh, I've been waiting for it. You haven't seen my baby, Nick. And she's three years old. I'd love to see her. You really should see her. You'd be amazed. But she's asleep. Oh. Well, soon, I hope. Only I'm allowed to see her when she's asleep. She's too gorgeous then for other eyes. Do excuse me. Tell him how gorgeous my baby is, Jordan. My baby isn't quite three years old, but she is pretty. I'm sure. Uh, Miss Baker, this Gatsby fellow you mentioned, I haven't met him, but in fact he's my neighbor. He has a woman he sees in New York. Well, as I say, I haven't met the man. Not Gatsby. Tom. Tom has a woman in New York? Why? Mr. Carraway, you look as if you want to call the police. Everyone knows. Probably even the police know. But you'd think she'd have the decency not to telephone here when it's almost time for dinner. Here they sit, almost shoulder to shoulder, young and rich and lovely, presiding at the marital table. A husband and wife I simply do not know. Daisy is my second cousin, twice removed. I spent some time with her and Tom in Chicago after the war, but who are they now? Well, Tom, with that pack of muscle shifting every time his shoulders move, he's unmistakably a man who has a string of polo ponies in a converted garage. Civilization is going to pieces. Have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by Goddard? No. Well, you ought to. Everybody ought to read it. The idea is if we don't look out, the white race will be... Slaughtered in its bed. Submerged. That's the word. Utterly submerged. It's a fine book. It's uh, it's scientific. Mm -hmm. Claret after cocktails makes Tom profound. I've seen it before. (laughs) Markle, you like, Jordan, but you can't deny it. The white race, we Nordics... I didn't know I was Nordic. The white race has produced all the things that go to make civilization. What things? You know, the science, art. Petroleum and Lillian Gish. <laughs> Don't tease too much, Jordan. My husband's a clever, big, hulking specimen. <laughs> hulking? <laughs> what kind of word is that? Listen, I- I'm loving you being here, Nick. Thank you, I'm loving you back. <laughs> <laughs> 
You remind me of a rose. I'm not even faintly like a rose. Oh, but absolutely. The daisy and the rose. Well, that's it. And listen, we should be in the garden. Come out with me now and hear the nightingale sing. He was right there on the lawn last night, singing away. I was sure it was a nightingale. He'd come over in the white star line. Maybe he's gone home on the Cunard line. Or he's been utterly submerged. You know, I haven't quite got my bearings here yet, but I think my place might be somewhere just across the water there. Maybe you could swim home tonight. <laughs> well, no doubt Tom could manage that, but I think I'll drive round. Oh, now, that's a sad little look. I was wondering if we really know each other, Nick. Really, I mean. Why didn't you come to my wedding? You know why. I wasn't back from the war. Oh, of course. Was it ghastly, the war? Actually, I rather enjoyed it. I've been restless ever since. Me too. Restless and cynical and sophisticated. Did I ever tell you what I said when my daughter was born? No. Well, she was less than an hour old, and Tom was God knows where. And I was weeping and weeping, abandoned and weeping. Then I looked at her and said, all right, I'll be glad you're a girl. And I hope you'll be a fool. The best thing a girl like you can be, I said, is a beautiful little fool in this world. Oh, everything's terrible, Nick. Everything? I've seen everything, done everything, everywhere there is, I know. I'm sophisticated. God, I am so sophisticated, I might die of it. Back at West Egg, I sit on an ancient grass roller in the yard. The house to the right of my own eyesore, at least it's a small eyesore, is colossal. An imitation of a Hotel de Ville in Normandy. A tower on one side, spanking new under a thin beard of raw ivy. There's a marble swimming pool. There are 40 acres of lawn and garden. The mansion of Mr. J. Gatsby. The night is bright with the silver pepper of stars. Wings beat in the trees, and somewhere there are frogs full of life. And a man has emerged from the mansion's shadow. Is this Gatsby? Should I call to him? No, because he is stretching out his arms in a curious way toward the dark water of the sound. The pose seems more surely than simply the easing of muscles. I could swear he's trembling. Although how can I know he's fifty feet away and his face is hidden? I look seaward and there is nothing except a single green light, minute, far away, maybe on the end of a dock. I look for Gatsby again, he's vanished. I am alone in the unquiet darkness. So what takes you up to New York on a Sunday? You work bonds for the weekend? I might do some reading. I have a lot to learn about the business. I thought maybe you were meeting Jordan. Miss Baker? No. <laughs> she took to you, no doubt about it. Absolutely. She's a good girl, Nick. She's from Louisville. You know Daisy's hometown? They were girls together. And now she's a golf champion. Well, you'll know the story, of course. What story? The bad lie, so to speak. 
Well, the gossip was she moved her ball from a bad lie in a semi-final or dropped a new ball. She went on to win that match in the final and the gossip died down. Point is, she'd have won anyway, even if she didn't cheat a little. And when it comes to men, she's straight and discreet. I know people say I'm not. Straight? Discreet. You know, I take my girl to good restaurants and bars. Of course I do. But that's where the good, respectable people are. Indiscreet, they say. They're resenting. As if I wasn't just as respectable. Tom, are you? What? <laughs> that's a Sunday lunchtime, Nick. I had a couple of cocktails. I wonder how long we'll have to wait for barges today. Can you see how many? Several, I think. We'll have time to study the landscape. The wilderness. See the garage coming up on the right? Repairs. Cars bought and sold. George B. Wilson. That man is so dumb he doesn't know he's alive. The wilderness. The valley of ashes. A fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens. Ashes take the form of houses and chimneys and rising smoke. Ash-gray men move dimly through the powdery air. With leaden spades, they stir up the clouds. Above the gray land, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eppelberg are blue and gigantic, retinas one yard high. They look out from a pair of enormous yellow spectacles. Some commercial wag of an oculist set them there to fatten his practice. He's long gone, but his eyes, dimmed a little by many paintless days under sun and rain, brood on over the dumping ground. On the edge of the wasteland is a small block of yellow brick, a compact main street, one shop for rent, an all-night restaurant, and George B. Wilson. That really is a filthy little river. Come on. Where are you going? We're getting off. Why? Sunday afternoon, Nick. No time for reading. There's someone I want you to meet. Wilson. Oh, hello, Mr. Buchanan. Hello, Wilson. How's business? I can't complain. Well, who'd listen, eh? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So you're here to talk to me about selling me that car of yours? Well, not just yet. My man's working on it. He must work pretty slow. Isn't that what you told me last week? Not slow, Wilson. Meticulous. But if you get an impatient, I can sell uh, no, it somewhere no, no, else. No, 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 no. I didn't mean that. Merely asking. I can wait. Good afternoon, Mrs. Wilson. Mr. Buchanan. Get some chairs, why don't you? Sure thing, Myrtle. Nobody said they was planning on sitting down. This is an old friend of mine, Nick Carraway. Nice to meet you, Nick. Hello, Mrs. Get Wilson. on the next train to New York. I want to see you. Myrtle Wilson, middle 30s. Slightly stout, but its flesh carried with sensuous ease. No gleam of beauty in her face, but there is vitality. One knows there are nerves in her body that smolder. She wets her lips. Tom's girl. The woman he sees in New York. I have some things to get. What things? Cold cream, perfume, a few magazines. Town title, I suppose. Of course. And a movie one. And a dog. A dog? Don't you think it'd be nice to have a dog about the place? No, I don't. We have the sweetest little apartment on Fifth Avenue, Nick. You'll love it. <laughs> I'm sure it's especially nice, but I'll leave you here. But no. Don't hurt my girl's feelings, Nick. I'll call my sister. She's said to be lovely by people who know. And we'll have the McKees come up. We'll have a sweet little party. 
Now, I think we have just about everything we need. There are snacks and candy on the table there. We have more than enough whiskey. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> My sister's as bald as she is pretty, Nick. We have ice. We have cigarettes. We have the charming neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. McKee. On behalf of my wife and myself. Yes, sir. <laughs> we have afternoon and evening to spend. So, all we need now for the final sweetness is jazz. <laughs> It's money, money, money. It sure is. And without money? Well, of course, Tom. Without it, we're sunk. That's obvious. But what I mean is expense.、Mm, of course you do. I had a man up here last month to check my feet. When he gave me the bill, you'd have thought he'd had my appendicitis out. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't people look after their own feet? If there's something needs a who looks after Daisy's feet? I adore your dress, Myrtle. It really is adorable. Do you like Europe? Uh, I like parts of it. What about Monte Carlo? I've never been there, but I think I might like it. Oh, don't be too sure. I just got back two months ago. We had twelve hundred dollars, me and another girl. Well, over twelve hundred. We got gypped out the lot three days flat, but like you say, Nick, parts of Europe are nice. When they get married, that's where Tom and Myrtle should go, somewhere in Europe. That's nice. You think they'll get married? <laughs> well, she can't stand Wilson. I heard that, <laughs> Sister Catherine, and it's not true. <laughs> can't stand him. I hate this son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I look at my watch. It is 6:17. We are into the evening and well into the second bottle. Tom emerges from the kitchen with a third. Just before the door swings closed behind him, I see Myrtle in there, leaning back with both elbows on a draining board, a beatific smile on her face. I look at my watch. It is 7:32. Since we got married, Chester has photographed me a couple of hundred times. Fifty of them are in frames. Must be close to fifty. At least fifty. You should do something with Myrtle, in that actual dress. Adorable. My sister's the adorable one. Well, now Myrtle, am I really as adorable as your dress? I've done a couple of nice things out on Long Island. Your neck of the woods, Tom. Studies. One I call Montac Point. The other one is Montac Point, the sea. I'd like to do more in that neck of the woods. You know what you should photograph out there? The house of this Gatsby man. The Palace of Gatsby. It's mostly new, but he's done all he can to make it look old. <laughs> that tower is wasn't even there last year. He has it all draped in ivy. To make it look distinguished. Or better still, huh? how about a real challenge? Chester loves a challenge. Photograph Gatsby's money, <laughs> if you can find it. He might be the type that lives on the idea of money, you know, the sheer bluff of it. Might get a photo of thousands of kegs. Someone told me he's a bootlegger.、Mm -hmm. 
You live on Long Island. In West Egg. Hmm. I was at a party there once at the Palace of Gatsby. Oh, it's right next door to mine. You have a palace too? <laughs> oh, yeah. $80 a month. Oh. Gatsby's a nephew or a cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm. Did you know that? No, no, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, that's where all his money comes from. Make sure he gets nothing on you. Gets what on me? Anything. He's a scary man. Scared of him. I look at my watch. It is 9.05. I want to go out for a walk, but I seem to be entangled here as if with ropes around me and my chair. Outside, our line of yellow windows must be giving a small share of human secrecy to a watcher in the darkening street. He's looking up and wondering. I gaze with him. I am within and without. I am enchanted and repelled by the variety of life. Right now, I don't care what time it is, but I suppose I'll check again soon. It must be after 10. It might even be closer to 11. <laughs> Mr. Carraway, you all right? Yes. I think so. You looked a little... Did huh? I? Just a little. I've only been drunk twice in my life. Heavens. Yes, this is the second time. Oh, wow. <laughs> the watch on my wrist has fallen asleep. So has Mr. McKee. Catherine has her head on my shoulder, but she's awake. I can hear her humming. The sound is like the word somnambulism. Nick, what are you doing? Why the poor man sleep? I just like to wipe off the lather. <laughs> what lather? On his cheek, dried lather. It's been bothering me all afternoon, all night. I'll do it gently. I almost missed that man, you know. I almost married a Jew. He'd been after me for years. If I hadn't met Chester, I might have given in and married a Jew. But you didn't. That's the difference. What difference? I did marry him. You didn't marry a Jew. No, she married George. Why did you, Myrtle? Were you crazy about him? The only crazy I was is when I married him. I've been living over that garage for 11 years. Then I met Tom on the train. Uh, let's change the subject, Myrtle. Why? It's a good subject. A romantic subject. You had on a dress suit and patent leather shoes. I could hardly keep my eyes off you. And every time you looked at me, I had to switch my eyes up over your head up to an advertisement. Pair of soap it was. Does it matter? Is anybody interested? Uh, are you interested, Lucille? Oh. Catherine? Uh. Neck? <laughs> at the station, he put his white shirt front against my bare arm. Oh, for heaven's sake. And I told him I'd call the police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew you knew I was lying. He got me into a taxi. You make it sound like a dragon. No. I just kept thinking, you can't live forever. You can't live forever. Even Daisy Buchanan can't live forever. Hey, hey, hey this is wrong, Merle. Wrong? You say Daisy can live forever. You leave her name alone. Why? Just you leave it alone. Is it a holy name? The sacred name of Daisy Buchanan? Merle. Am I taking the name in vain? Then let the Lord strike me down. Daisy, 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 Daisy. <coughs> oh. 
Now there will be bloody towels on the bathroom floor. There will be a woman's wails of pain and other women's voices scolding and consoling. But I'm far away from all that. I'm in the cold lower level of Pennsylvania Station with the morning tribune on my knees. I'm waiting for the four o'clock train. I look at my watch. Not long now. I wondered if you might be here, as you live next door. <laughs> next door, Miss Baker, is another world. When did you finally meet Gatsby? I haven't met him, but I was actually invited by an actual chauffeur. He brought a note across this morning. The honor would be entirely his if I would attend his little party. Signed J. Gatsby in a majestic hand. His little parties are majestic too. I watched the preparations. An entire battalion of caterers arrived last night. Hundreds of feet of canvas, thousands of colored lights, yard after yard of buffet tables, and a quite amazing number of lemons and oranges. Then at six this evening, the cars started to arrive. They're already five deep in the drive, and the night is absolutely young. Let us begin. I'm through training for tonight. The drinks are this way. I saw you play last week, Miss Baker. Well done. So, so, so well done. Thank you. The trophy was yours from the first shot. My name's Alice. May I call you Jordan? We've been together at Gatsby's parties before. Have we? Of course. Remember, I tore my gown on a chair. Oh yes. Well, let me tell you, Gatsby made sure he found out my name and address, and within a few days, I got a package from Croyors with a beautiful new gown in it, blue with lavender beads. And that gown must have cost two hundred and sixty-five dollars. His generosity is the stuff of legend. But don't you think there's something funny about a man who would do a thing like that? In what way funny? Well, like he doesn't want any trouble with anyone, even a dopey girl like me. Or with her concerned parents.、Oh, my parents are not concerned. They are very, very, very not concerned. I heard somewhere that Gatsby's connected to German royalty. But he was in our army in the war. He fought the Germans. Maybe he was a German spy. I did hear he killed a man once. Not a German, not in the war. And when you look at him sometimes. Well, he could have done. He's never still. You notice that? Always something moving. If it's only a little finger. Oh, good, real music. We can dance now. No, I think my friend and I will saunter. All right, Nick. Of course. See you later, Alice. Well, Gatsby could never be a spy. He's too good looking. He'd catch too many eyes. Well, now this is majestic. You could feast five hundred in here. Don't exaggerate, Nick. With Gatsby, it isn't necessary. I thought he might be in here. I must introduce you. They'll be serving the first supper soon. We might see him then. You mean there's a last supper? There are two. The second after midnight. That's an imposing door. What's in there? The library, I think. Let's try it. Come right on in and look at this. We were hoping to find Mr. Gatsby. You want to ascertain? Ascertain? Well, you needn't bother. I already ascertained they're real. 
Every single one of them. You mean the books are real? Pages and everything. I thought maybe nice, durable cardboard. You buy it by the yard, but no. These are the real thing. Bonafide pieces of printed matter. This room is a triumph. The fellow's a regular Belasco. He's a what? David Belasco, a Broadway producer. His stage sets get standing ovations. And I raise my hat to this fellow. Realism, thoroughness, detail. He knew where to stop, too. He didn't cut the pages. Really impressive, but excuse us. Uh, I've been drunk for about a week now. I thought it might sober me up sitting in a library. Has it worked? Uh, too early to tell. Uh, were you brought or did you just come? I was brought the first time, but now I just come. He, he expects it. He's happy with it. Me just coming and going. We were invited. And now we really must go. Uh, Cliff Springer. Uh, tell him Cliff Springer's in the library taking off his shoes for a while. And now they're trying to put it about that it's Negro music. <laughs> I won't have that. Oh, they play it. I know, they play it, and some of them play it well. But you know when they get really wild and fast, and they call it hot, and they call it bold, and they call it in... inventive? Inventive? Innovative? Well, it's not. They're just getting lost. They're making mistakes. And they did not invent it. I mean, they don't invent. Never have. Oh, you see that man? That man's in Hollywood. I must have a word with that man. See you later, lovers. Mm. I'm going inside for a sandwich. You want one? No, thanks. Will you suffer alone? If I feel lonely, I'll smile broadly. Companions will flock. Or look absolutely sad. That works, too. Excuse me, old sport. Hello? I may be wrong, but... Were you in the first division during the war? <laughs> yes, I, I was in the 28th Infantry. I'm not wrong. I was sure I'd seen you somewhere before. I was in the 16th until June 18, France. The Argonne Forest. Chateau Thierry. It was a fiery time. Huh. That's a good word for it. And confusing, muddled. Loud? Very loud. There was a lot of rain. I remember the rain as being gray. Dark gray rain. But I'm sure I saw you there at some point. Well, maybe at a quiet point. I was there only two days and two nights. But somewhere I saw you. I picture you like this. You're sitting on rubble. What's left of a farmhouse, I think. And... Are you drinking straight from a bottle of red wine? That may well have been me. That may well have been the day I got drunk for the first time in my life. I did my very best to die in that war. But listen, we'll talk more about all that another time. You know what I just bought? What? A hydroplane. It's like a really super speedy motorboat that takes off into the air. I plan to try it out in the morning. Want to try it with me, old sport? I'm not sure how fast I might feel like moving after tonight. And as for up in the air... Well, we won't go too high, and we can stay near the shore along the sound. Well, well... Having a gay time now? Much better. But I still haven't met our host. Although I think I might have seen him one night. I live just next door. You're Daisy Buchanan's cousin. That's right. I'm Gatsby. For a moment, he looks almost embarrassed, as at an unwelcome confession. And then, the full Gatsby smile. It has a quality of reassurance in it. It shows an irresistible prejudice in my favor. It understands me just as far as I would want to be understood. It believes in me as I would like to believe in myself. 
The smile turns away toward Jordan, and now I'm looking at an elegant young roughneck, a year or two over thirty. And you know our champion, Miss Baker. We're beginning to know each other. That's good. Now I have to go to the house. I'm expecting a big call from Chicago, Jordan. Yes. Do you think you and I might have a talk, just the two of us? Of course. When? Say in about twenty minutes. I'll meet you on the veranda. Fine. If you want anything, old sport, just ask for it. Who is he? Gatsby. I mean, where's he from? What does he do? He told me once he was an Oxford man, England University. Really? Oh, I doubt really. Some say he's from the swamps of Louisiana. Some say the Lower East Side of New York. He drifted out of nowhere and built a palace on Long Island. And what he does? What he does is give big parties. I like big parties. They're intimate. At small parties, there's no privacy. But Gatsby wants a private talk with you. I wonder what that's about. I have absolutely no idea. Oh yeah. I've decided there's no point. No point to what? Trying to get sober tonight. <laughs> Look at this. Look at it all. Amazing. The man is amazing. But they say some crazy things about him. I heard a new one just a minute ago. Let me tell you, this one is a doozy. And now there's the amazing man himself, standing on the marble steps with Jordan. He looks from one group of guests to another, smiling, approving, and now he's smiling at Jordan, saying some final words to her. His manner is eager. I can see nothing sinister in him. Amazing indeed, absolutely. You were with him for an hour. Well, the hour flew. It really did. But I can't tell you. Why do people talk so close to each other? He swore you to secrecy. Uh, I will tell you. I have to, but not yet. Sorry to be so tantalizing. I have to think about it. Jordan, you are not a good driver. Other people are. Other people drive carefully. They keep out of my way. Well, what if you meet someone as careless as yourself? Well, I hope I don't. I hate careless people. That's why I like you. I have to be away for a week or two. A tournament. May I call you then in a fortnight? Do that, and then we'll meet. Then I'll tell you such a story. On my way across the lawn toward home, I glance back once. A wafer of moon shines over Gatsby's house, and from all the many windows and the great doors, emptiness now flows. Moon and emptiness endow with isolation the figure of the host on the veranda. His hand is raised in a formal gesture of farewell. A fortnight later, that figure is standing on the running board of his gorgeous, creamy, green-upholstered, bright-with-nickel car, which is parked in my rocky driveway. His fingers are drumming on the door, but then. He is never still, always a tapping foot or a hand impatiently opening and closing. She's pretty, isn't she, old sport? She is indeed. Must be like driving in a kind of green leather conservatory.、Hmm, lots of glass, yes, and all sparkling clean. Your staff are meticulous. No, I polish them all myself. I really like the sound polishing. You're going into New York today. Yes, I'm meeting Miss Baker. Good. So let's ride up together. Oh, but I'm not meeting Jordan until this afternoon. Have lunch with me first. There are a few things I'd like you to know. 
You've been at three of my parties now. That's right. And you'll have heard lots of stories. Oh, well, oh I, I know about the stories. It's speculation, really. Right. I drift here and there, you see, trying to forget a sad thing. So I'm with strangers a lot. Stories get on strangers. But I'll tell you the God's truth. I don't want you thinking I'm just some nobody. I'm actually the son of wealthy people in the Middle West. They're all dead now, the whole clan. You're from quite a clan yourself, Nick. There's a family tradition that we're descended from the Dukes of Buccleuch. And there's lots of money in wholesale hardware. <laughs> and the business is thriving. Was it your grandfather who started it? His brother, my great uncle. That's right. He sent a substitute to the Civil War and stayed home to start the family business. How on earth did you know that? Stories get around. Anyway, when my clan all died out, I came into a good deal of money. Lived like a young Raja for a while. Paris, Venice, Rome, London. Just living and spending. Mostly. I did collect jewels, rubies especially. I hunted big game and I painted a bit. Not to sell, just for myself. And all the while trying to forget. Trying to forget what? A sad thing. Then the war came. When you did your best to die. I seem to have an enchanted life. I went in as first lieutenant, came out as major. Every allied government gave me a decoration. Do you believe that? Do you believe that after the war I went to Oxford for some real education? Why should I not? If you look in the glove compartment there, you'll find at least one of the medals. You'll find also a photo of me at Oxford, Trinity College, blazer and cricket bat and everything. The Earl of Doncaster has his arm around my shoulders. The Middle West, you say? What part? San Francisco. I'm going to ask a big favor of you today, elsewhere, or Miss Baker will. Are you and Jordan... In love? No. She'll explain. It's about the sad thing. I'm not fond of mysteries, Gatsby. Why does this favor have to come through Jordan? It's nothing underhand. Miss Baker is a sportswoman, you know. She'd never do anything that was out of the way. And first we'll have lunch with a friend of mine, Meyer Wolfsheim. You'll enjoy him. Quite a character, a real Broadway denizen. An actor? A gambler. He's the man who fixed the World Series back in 1919. The caper in June of 20. Now, that, that was a piece of first-class cunning. I mean, I mean the word politely. I mean clever. Out of the blue. And no one got hurt too much. <clears throat> Everyone hurt a little, which mounts up, as I know you know. And the best thing about it, the best thing about it was no one to blame. And the reason for no one to blame... Everyone in the picture was to blame. They're all over and around each other, looking for an explanation, looking for the motive, looking for a diagram of how this damn thing was worked and who the hell was to blame. <laughs> then they stop. They look at each other, they look at themselves. We're greedy. We're too fast one way and too slow the other. We're all to blame. And what did it take to start this masterpiece of caper? A smile and a twinkling eye, which, as we all know, are innocent in themselves. So, you're looking for a connection. A connection? A business connection. No, Meyer, this is Mr. Carraway, a friend of mine. Just a friend? I got the wrong man. Maybe you got a little mixed up, times and people. Yeah, that happens. Mix-ups happen. I almost went into the place across the street because I used to go there. I used to like it better than here. Across the street is too small. It is small, hot and small, but full of memories. What place is that? The old Metropolis. Full of faces, dead and gone. As long as I live, I'll remember the night over there with Rosie Rosenthal. It was six of us at the table. And Rosie had eaten, drunk for hours, lots of hours. Four in the morning, maybe. 
If we'd have raised the blinds, we'd have seen daylight. Then a waiter says, Mr. Rosenthal, there's someone wants to talk to you outside. Rosie, I says, let the bastard come in here if he wants you. I had him by the arm when I said it. He looks me in the eye. He had a sharp look at Rosie. I see that look of his a lot. Even these days. So did he stay? Of course not. Don't let the waiter take my coffee, he says. And out he goes. Gives me the look one more time in the door. Soon as he's out that door, they shoot him six times in his full belly. Four of them. Electrocuted. Five. Remember Becker. That's right. You see this man here, Mr. Faraday? A caraway. Pardon me. This man here is as fine a fellow as all over town. Handsome to look at and a perfect gentleman. Mr. J. Gatsby, the fine and handsome gentleman with brains to spare. Oh, you flatter me, man. Don't deal in that stuff. It's all true. Made his acquaintance just after the war, and I knew right then, here's a discovery. Here's a man of breathing and talent. Here's a man an empire might grow around. I see you looking at my cuff buttons. Uh, ivory? Human molars. The finest specimens. Let's have another round of highballs. And a fruit juice for you, Jay. Uh, thanks, but I really should be going. Mr. Carraway is to take tea with a young lady. You treat a good boy. You always got to be careful and kind with the women. Excellent advice. Nice to meet you. I'll talk to you later, Gatsby. Sooner, I hope, old sport. <laughs> Nick! What are you doing here? Tom, hello. I, I was having lunch. Never seen you in here before. I've never been here before. Is Daisy with you, or is... Uh, business people only. You alone? I came with Gatsby. He's over there with the little Jewish fellow with the big head. I see the Jew. Oh, but Gatsby was... Disappeared on you, has he? <laughs> I'm told he's good at that. It's like sometimes he shifts out of focus. You think you're seeing him clear, then he says something or turns his head. Turns his head? And the focus shifts. It's hard to explain. So he's shifting. No, that's definitely not the word, but he's hard to pin down. Maybe I should meet this fellow. Maybe I could pin him down. Invite him to dinner. Two Long Island notables meet. <laughs> oh, no. Even if only half the rumors about him are true, he won't sit at my table. I can take a bit of brashness in a man, but he's vulgar on a huge scale. He could always go to one of his parties there on a huge scale, too. You know, if he had the nerve to invite me, I might just do that. You don't have to be invited. You just go. He's that vulgar. Open house. I go this way. What do you mean in Jordan? Uh, 20 minutes. Oh, good. Then you have time for a drink with me and Daisy. Well, I don't know, Tom. Come on. We haven't seen you for weeks. One drink. It'll do Daisy good. Oh, for God's sake, Nick. It, it, it is uncomfortable, Tom. Uncomfortable? You're my friend. Daisy's my cousin. She's my wife. And she's good and true and wise. She may not always sound wise, but she is. And Myrtle Wilson is... I just... won't let anyone, anything, threaten my marriage. Do you believe me? You know, I think I might just stop. Stop what? Shopping. <laughs> Daisy, you'd waste the way. That's just what I'm doing. Well, you look in the best of health. Oh, skin deep, darling. I know my skin is glowing. I know my hair shines and my eyes gleam. That is all true. But inside, I am wasting away. From too much shopping. Oh, I don't want to wear the same dress every day. I'm not suggesting a nun's habit and a diet of rice and beans and only a straggle of wildflowers on the table. But I have to slow down. Simplify. 
call a ceasefire. <laughs> a ceasefire on shopping. Yes. Because it's a war nowadays, a long campaign, or maybe it's meant to be an art. Whatever it is, you have to get it right all the time. It wastes you away, trying to be right all the time. Where have you been, Nick? Oh, working mostly. And seeing Jordan. Yes, which reminds me... And you still haven't seen my baby. No, no, I haven't. We must arrange that. Listen, I have to make a call on business. Uh, From a public phone? Of course not. Harding will let me use his office. Harding's the, uh, the manager here. Right. It's important, but it shouldn't take long. Keep Daisy company till I get back. So, Nick, keep me company. Always a delight. Delight has wasted away. Oh, Daisy, you're too fond of that phrase. It's not just a phrase. You know that place you pass coming into town? The ash heaps, the wilderness, all those clouds of dust and dirt? Of course I know. Well, that's what wasted away really looks like. And feels like. Miles of ashes and a vacant store and a sloppy place to eat and George B. Wilson and more miles of ash. Daisy. It used to be a garden, you know. The Garden of Eden. Oh, much more exciting than that. Much lovelier. You could have so much fun there. (laughs) Fun. So much you could risk your life. Risk your very soul. And it was still lovely, still exciting. Still fun. The serpent was like an angel. He was an angel. He was? Satan. Lucifer. He was a fallen angel. You always knew the best stories, Nick. Nobody tells me your kind of stories anymore. (laughs) Well, I could tell you one now. I drove in here today with Gatsby. Darling, you'd better go. Go and keep Jordan company. I've heard enough stories about Gatsby. When I asked him what part of the Middle West he was from, he said San Francisco. Hmm. A tease. A tease? If you'd laughed at him, he'd have laughed right back. Or given you that smile of his. Well, what kind of tease was it to take me to lunch with somebody who is obviously... or once was... What? The kind of man who wears human teeth for shirt cuff buttons. Oh, my. The absolute variety of New York life. On the drive up here, Gatsby told me that if I looked in the glove compartment, I'd find at least one of oh so many medals he's been awarded. And a picture of him at Oxford with an English lord and a cricket bat. Did you look? No. I'd have looked. He's up to something. I know. Yes, you know. For a moment, I thought he was in love with you. No. He's in love with Daisy. I look at her, at her golden shoulders and the challenge in her eyes. Her lips are trembling and moist with secrets. She sits up very straight, a personified challenge. But it's Daisy, I hear. Daisy with her frivolous melancholy. Listen, there was a nightingale, singing and singing. But now he's abandoned me. And here I am, restless and cynical and sophisticated. I've been everywhere, seen everything, done everything. And it's all terrible. I'm so sophisticated, I might die of it. And the first words I heard from her that night when she first heard the name... Gatsby? What Gatsby? 
When you turned up at Daisy's house, and I asked you if you knew Gatsby, remember? I remember. And Daisy said, "What Gatsby?" Well, later that night, she came to my room and woke me up and asked me again. Must have been three in the morning. Can you see her, creeping from the marital bed, all gothic and ghostly in her white nightgown? What did you tell her? Actually, she was in stripy pajamas and her hair was in curlers. From what you said, you had little to tell. And I told her all of it. Then I described him. She said, "It must be him." And I knew what she meant, who she meant. How did you know? Because I'd seen them together years ago in Louisville. Back then, 1917, Daisy was the most popular girl in town by far. She always dressed in white, and she had a little white roadster. I absolutely adored that car. I was only 16. Daisy was two years older, and I was proud. Can you imagine me proud of such a thing? That such a grown-up beauty treated me like a friend, you know, almost a friend. I was passing her house one morning, and her roadster was parked at the curb. Daisy was sitting in it with a young lieutenant I'd never seen before. She dated other officers, lots of them. Camp Taylor's not far from Louisville, but this one was different. Different how? The way he looked at her. Oh, I'd seen men gaze at her before, all lovelorn and dizzy and devoted as puppies, hungry puppies, dangerous dogs. But this look was different. This man was amazed, engrossed. Here's a word: enraptured. Imagine an astronomer looking up at the sky, and there's a new, bright, astonishing planet up there. Oh my! Do I sound 16 again? Did she introduce you to him? I think she said his name, but then she talked about the Red Cross and bandages. We were both doing volunteer work. And she talked about another girl my age who'd got herself into some really embarrassing trouble. Gatsby never even glanced my way. I'm sure he didn't. I know he never took his eyes off Daisy. I didn't see him again for over four years. On Long Island, in his mansion. Yes, but even after I'd met him there, I didn't realize it was the same man. When he asked to talk to you at his party, was that about Daisy? I'll come back to Gatsby. Let me tell you a little more about Daisy. There was a story. It may even be true that a few months after I'd seen her with Gatsby, her mother found her one winter night, all wild and weeping and packing a bag. The story was she was running away to New York to join a soldier who was being sent overseas. The story also says. She never again dated another soldier. Then, in June of 19, she married Tom Buchanan, all pomp and circumstance. Did you know, he gave her a string of pearls valued at three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Good God! She threw them in the trash. She did what? This story is definitely true. I was there. I was a bridesmaid. 
I came into her hotel room the night before the wedding. They'd hired an entire floor of the Malbec. And Daisy was lying on the bed, stark naked and drunk as a monkey. She had an empty bottle of Sauterne in one hand and a letter in the other. Gratulate me, she kept saying. Gratulate poor Daisy. I just stood there. I was terrified. All of 18 now, but terrified because I'd never seen a girl in that condition. She looked like a madwoman. Then she groped around in a waste basket and pulled out the pearls. Take them away. Just take them away. She said I should take them back where they came from and say she changed her mind. I finally managed to move. I got her into a cold bath. I gave her spirits of ammonia, put ice on her forehead, poured a gallon of coffee into her, and all the time she held on to that letter. When she'd halfway sobered up, the letter was nothing but a scrunched-up sodden ball. She threw it in the wastebasket. Next day, she married Tom without so much as a shiver, and they went off to the South Seas. Do you know what I'd like to do now? Tell me. Go for a ride in a Victoria through Central Park. Jay Gatsby and his secrets. He knows secrets too about my family, for instance. Well, not a secret, but I'm baffled as to how he knows. He asked around. He has connections. Yes, business connections. When he talked to you that night, it was about Daisy, about his feelings for her now. Yes. He likes you a lot, you know. And he wants a favor from me. He wants you to invite Daisy to your house some afternoon for tea, and he wants to be there. Well, that's a fairly modest request. Tom mustn't be there, and Daisy's not to know that Gatsby will be there. I mean, she has to arrive in all her innocence. Absolutely. Of course, what might happen then? Why didn't he ask you to arrange a meeting? I did offer. I suggested lunch in New York. He was outraged. He wants nothing out of the way. Nothing underhand. Right. And your house is right next door to his. He wants Daisy to see his house. It's quite a coincidence. What is? He buys a house on Long Island, turns it into a palace, and his princess is living just across the bay. It wasn't a coincidence. He asked around. He used his connections. He tracked her down. Then. He built his palace because Daisy was just across the bay. I know that in a few moments I will kiss Jordan, this clean, limited, scornful young woman with her jaunty skepticism. I think she may be incurably dishonest, and the hint of scorn will still be in her face when I take her in my arms. But she will come into my arms just the same, in a moment or two. When I've put aside the memory of trembling Gatsby, under the silver pepper of stars, his arms stretched out toward the dark water, toward the green light on the faraway dock, Daisy's light. In *The Great Gatsby* by F. Scott Fitzgerald. 
Nick was played by Brian Dick, Gatsby by Andrew Scott, Daisy by Pippa Bennett Warner, Jordan by Melody Grove, Tom by Andrew Buchan, Wolfsheim by Carl Johnson, Clipspringer by Sam Dale, Wilson by Gerard McDermott, Myrtle by Susie Riddell, Catherine by Tracy Wiles, Chester by Patrick Brennan, Lucille by Christine Absalom, and Alice by Amaka Okafor. The Great Gatsby was dramatized by Robert Forrest and directed by Gaynor McFarlane. Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald Dramatized by Robert Forrest Episode 2 Gatsby leans with one elbow against my mantelpiece. He's wearing a white flannel suit, a silver shirt, and a golden tie. The pose is a strained counterfeit of ease. A cream-colored shoe taps rapidly on the hearth. There are dark signs of sleeplessness beneath his eyes. Have you got everything you need? What might I need? In the way of tea, I mean. It's all ready. I have lemon cakes from the delicatessen, 12 of them. Do you think the rain will stop? One of the papers said it would. The journal, I think. Of course, you can't really trust the journal. I hope you don't mind me having your grass cut. Not at all, thank you. Ah, I've been meaning to sell, sport. You're selling bonds, that's right. Trying to. Well, here's the thing. I carry on a little business on the side, a sideline I thought you might be interested in. It wouldn't take up much of your time, and you could pick up a nice bit of money... It's a confidential kind of thing. You wouldn't have to deal with wolf sign. I'm much obliged, but my hands are full right now. Understood. Well, I suppose I'll go home. Home? Nobody's coming to tea. It's too late. <laughs> it's just two minutes to four. That must be her. Relax. Pour a drink if you like. Is this absolutely where you live, darling? Yes, it is. Come in, Daisy. I've told the chauffeur to come back in an hour. Good. We don't want him sitting outside being conspicuous, do we? That would never do. <laughs> so, Nick, listen. Are you in love with me? No. You don't want us to become kissing cousins? No. Then why was I not to bring Tom? Who is Tom, by the way? And why are we here alone? I really do not know. Excuse me, sorry. Oh, no. Such mysterious fun. For God's sake, Gatsby, what is this? Some kind of farce? I hope not. You vanish, you reappear, and you're soaked. She's here? Of course she's here. Come through. Here at last, Daisy, my other guest, Mr. Gatsby. We've met before. Not for a long time. Five years, next November. I'm awfully glad to see you again. I live next door. It took me just three years to earn the money that bought that house. But your inheritance, living like a Raja. Oh, I lost all that in the big panic. 
Since then, I've been in several things. I was in the drug business, and I was in the oil business. I'm not in either one now. You live in that huge place? Any family? No family at all. But I keep it full of people, interesting people who do interesting things, celebrated people. <laughs> Lovely. And I have a folder that's full of clippings, photos. Fascinating. They're all about you. <laughs> They go back years. How? I don't know the word. <laughs> well, I'll leave you two for a while. Where are you going? I have things to see to. Tea things? I'll be back soon. I wait under a tree whose mast leaves shelter me from the rain, which is beginning to slacken. There is much about Gatsby's behavior today which is puzzling. There have been moments when he's acted like an impetuous but embarrassed boy. And then there was that look on his face when he again, after almost five years, set eyes on Daisy. What was that look? Bewilderment? Doubt? Disappointment? Even fear. Had the actual woman tumbled far short of his dream of her, not through any fault in her, but because of the colossal vitality of his own illusion. Gatsby's dream had gone beyond her, beyond everything, and the beginning of understanding that had shown in his baffled expression. But the look disappeared as soon as she spoke. He adjusted, straightened, and his deathly paleness began to take color. Her voice... It was the warmth of her voice that brought him back, as if her voice were a deathless song. I'll give them another five minutes. Nick, old sport, welcome back. Why, thank you. We've had a first-class talk, Daisy and me. <laughs> But I have to tell you, I almost knocked the clock over off the mantelpiece. I caught it just in time. <laughs> Good. It's stopped raining. Excellent news. The journal was right after all. You hear that, Daisy? It stopped raining. That is good, Jane. We can go out now. What about tea? Would you mind terribly if we missed it, Nick? Jay would like to show me his house. You too, of course. All three of us. Fine. I'll go upstairs before we go and wash my face. I'm afraid I've been weeping like a maiden. You all right, Elspeth? My bathroom. She'll see my towels. The tour begins with the gardens, in the fragrances of jonquil and hawthorn and plum blossom and kiss me at the gate. Daisy could not climb the marble steps more daintily if she were wearing glass slippers. Inside, I follow her and Gatsby through the Marie Antoinette music room, the restoration salon, the Merton College library, then upstairs through period bedrooms and gilded bathrooms and a pool room and a gym, and finally into Gatsby's own apartment. He must, of course, be revaluing all his possessions as he imagines they appear to Daisy's lovely and much-loved eyes. He shows that bewildered expression again. In Daisy's astoundingly real presence, can all these mere things be real? But now he throws open a gleaming mahogany cabinet and begins to pull out the ultimate treasure, his shirts. All sorts, you see. Mm -hmm. For every occasion, every weather, every mood... I have a man in England. He sends over a selection at the beginning of the season, spring and fall. Linen, silk, fine flannel. <laughs> you see? I do see. Stripes and scrolls and plaids, coral, apple green, <laughs> bottle green. Uh, New leaf green? Yes. 
That's exactly it, old sport. New leaf green, blue, <laughs> lavender, orange, yellow, lots of monograms. Oh, you like that one? It's beautiful. It smells of... What, Daisy? Like it's color? Lavender? <laughs> Daisy. Daisy, what's wrong? It, it just makes me sad. Because I've never seen such things. I, I've never seen such beautiful shirts before. Yes? I can't talk now. No, I said a small town. He's no use to me if Detroit is his idea of a small town. I can't talk. Daisy, come to the window. Look, if it wasn't for the mist, we could see your house across the bay. Right there. You have a green light at the end of your dock. Have I? It burns all night. Will you come to one of my parties? Oh, yes. And bring... Your husband? Of course. You know, I've been told there's an underground pipeline that runs all the way from Canada. The bootleggers bring in liquor that way. You think Gatsby knows about that? Don't be ridiculous, Tom. I'm ridiculous? He wears a pink suit. You see that woman under the plum tree? She's gorgeous. Mm, as an orchid. The man bending over her is her director. Of course. It's really her. <laughs> Are we to be impressed by actors? Even drunk ones? I've seen at least half a dozen oil men here and three bankers. Now there's power. Speaking of drunk, should we wake our sleeping beauty here? Uh, miss, I excuse me, miss. Oh, no, the pool is far too deep. Oh, you've come back. I simply had to. Oh, they tried to stick my head in the pool. If there's one thing I hate, it's to get my head stuck in a pool. They almost drowned me once. That was in New Jersey. Alice, there you are. Oh. Where have you been? Oh, she's been avoiding the pool. I thought she might be hiding from me. No, I like you, Clip Banger. Springer, Clip Springer. That's right. I knew it was odd. And you know I'm terrified of water. I'll protect you. It's all my parents' fault. They instilled it in me. From an early age, they instilled and instilled all kinds of things in me. Except a shower. Oh, I do love a cold shower. Will you take me upstairs to the shower, please? Well, I suppose I could. I'll take her. Come on, Alice. Oh, do we know each other well enough? I'll take you as far as the door and then wait outside for you. Protecting me? To the death. <sighs> then we'll go to the library and talk and talk till we're totally sober and utterly fearless. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> But I simply wander in and use a shower? <laughs> and the library. And where does he find this menagerie? A lot of them find him. Yeah, I'm told the newspapers have found him, too. What do you mean? Some young reporter's been, I don't know, going around asking questions. What kind of questions? Empty ones, Daisy. Random shots. Jay, hello. The party's wonderful. Thank you, Daisy. I love to arrange these things. Keeps me busy. Like a kind of... Hobby. And I like to watch them all mingle and talk. And you know how it is, Tom. People think I'm a mystery, so they say I'm a mystery. It gets around. Stories get around. The reporter was just a cop who'd heard a story or two, so he came sniffing out here on his day off. 
He wouldn't even say what stories he'd heard. He was trying to be mysterious. I'm not. I'm just a private man. I fall way short of being news. You folks got all you need? Absolutely. It's even cooling down a little. Did you arrange that, too? I do my best. It has been painfully hot. But you always look cool, Jay. I've never seen you not looking cool. Say, why don't we all take a trip into the city one day soon, the four of us, and you bring Miss Baker, Nick? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, uh, let's get together without quite so much of a menagerie. Tom had been looking at Daisy as he spoke, and now his lips remain slightly parted. He looks from Daisy to Gatsby and back to Daisy, as if he had just recognized her as someone he knew long ago. She had told Gatsby she loved him, and Tom had seen. She didn't have a good time. Of course she did. I don't think she understands. Understands what? She used to understand. We'd sit for hours. I wouldn't ask too much of her. I'm going to fix everything just the way it was before. She'll see. You can't repeat the past. You can't repeat the past? Why, of course you can. He is gazing off into the dusk. I gaze with him. And what do we see? Beyond dusky trees and years, the blocks of a sidewalk in Louisville? Blocks that made a ladder which mounted to a secret place above the trees. If he climbed that ladder alone, he might suck on the pap of life. Such a man might gulp down the milk of wonder. But does he fear that if he kisses this girl, weds his visions to her perishable breath, his mind will never romp again like the mind of God? My mind is adrift and very sleepy. Well, now, Gatsby, that is quite a vehicle. It's gorgeous. Well, thank you. It's not always yellow and green and silver are gorgeous together. <laughs> so what's the idea? What idea, old sport? Well, what do we plan to do in the city? We could see a movie. Oh, it's far too hot. A ride in Central Park. Or somewhere with five bathrooms. <laughs> That's good. A cold bath each. And mint juleps for all. We could take a parlor suite at the Plaza Hotel. Yes, a, a bath and a mint julep. We could have both here in our house. Oh, but the Plaza, Tom, much more fun. Is this thing, uh, is this thing standard ship? Yes, it is. Would you let me drive it? If you want to. Fine. Then you can have my coupe. Come on, Daisy. I'll take you in the, uh, the circus wagon. Uh, listen, it looks too fast to me. Fast? Well, that depends on the driver. I take Jordan instead if she likes. Would, would my dress match the color scheme? Absolutely. And Nick, too, of course. And we'll follow in the coupe. All three of us, even Jordan, have been quiet for several minutes. And now, as we move into the ashen wilderness, ahead of us are the giant salesman eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg absent oculist. Today the gaze seems amused, sardonic. I know Tom's eyes have been turning on me now and then as he drives. I'm just about to break the silence. Maybe we should fill up. There's enough to get us to town. Why risk getting stalled in this baking heat? All right. Wilson's place? No, why not? 
Daisy knew Gatsby before we were married. You two knew that, didn't you? Only recently. No, well, recently I've been making an investigation of the man. The Oxford man. <laughs> like hell. Oxford? Him and his pink suits and his gypsy caravan car? Are you really such a snob, Tom? And if you are, why are we going to New York with him? Well, maybe we'll have a chance to talk. Away from all his gorgeous friends. Haven't seen this one before, Mr. Buchanan. You like it? It's a nice shade of yellow. You know, like to buy it? <laughs> oh, I, I don't think so. Uh, no? Now, a bit out of your league. But that other one of yours, I'd still like to bid for that one. I could make some money on that. We could use some money to go west on. Uh, who's we? My wife and me. We've been here too long. She's been talking about the West for ten years. And now, I'm gonna make sure we get away. I got wised up to something, and it's making me sick. Sick you are, but wise you're not. Huh. And if I go West with you, we both be sick. Yeah, we'll see about that. We sure will. Hello, Mr. Buchanan. Hello, Mrs. Wilson. Are you not gonna introduce us to your lovely wife? What? Oh, uh, uh, actually, she's, uh, she's suffering a bit, the heat. Uh, how much do I owe you? Dollar twenty. And your old car. Don't forget me. I almost expect Wicked Jordan to lean out and say, I'm not his wife, I'm another woman entirely. On Myrtle's face, one emotion after another shows, like images in a developing picture. Among them, of course, is jealousy, and growing now is something like terror. Oh, people are being married downstairs. I know. Hope never dies. The foolish young creature. <laughs> uh, don't do this cynical thing, Daisy. Imagine getting married in this heat. I got married in the heat. Louisville in June. Mm. Somebody fainted. Who was it fainted, Tom? Biloxi. That's right, Biloxi. And he made boxes, boxes, Biloxi. I remember him. They carried him, fainted, away into my house. Mm -hmm. He stayed three weeks. Daddy finally told him to get out. The next day, Daddy died. I don't think there was a connection. <laughs> oh, I always think we're so funny. Us rich, young, cynical creatures. No, we don't. We pretend we think we're funny. <laughs> this is worse than Louisville. It's ferocious. Oh, will I open another window? And they're all open. Well, call room service. Have them send up an act. Yes, <laughs> break open a few more windows. Chase out the ferocious heat. Well, maybe if we stop talking about it, try to forget about it. Good idea, old sport. You make it worse if you crab on about it. Crab on? <laughs> is, is that quite a gentlemanly phrase? And you an Oxford man? Is that where you picked up this old sport business in Oxford? I'm not an Oxford man. Really? Well, I was told you went to Oxford. I did. Nick can tell you. He's seen a photograph. Uh, Oxford, uh, New Mexico? England. I was there in 1919, only for five months. It was an opportunity they gave to some of the officers after the armistice. <laughs> yes, of course. We could go to any university in France or England. What are you grinning at, Nick? And another little mystery solved, I think. 
Solved with simple honesty. Well, we could all do with some more honesty and less cynicism. On all sides, it's all we see. Cynicism and sneering and marriage, family life. If we don't watch out, they'll throw everything overboard. Your husband, Daisy, stands alone on the battlements of civilization. <laughs> all alone. Well, somebody has to. <laughs> Or next, we'll see the whites marrying blacks. We're all white here. None of us is even Jewish white. Unless Mr. Gatsby. No, but you work for them. Like that crook Jew, Wolfsheim. I don't work for Meyer. Yeah, but you've had some pretty shady dealings with him. I've been asking around about you and that gangster. And this was the game, children. We're not children. And I'm getting sick of this game. You, you, you really should hear this. Mr. Nobody from nowhere here teamed up with Wolfsheim to buy up side street drugstores in New York and Chicago. Their best-selling item? Grain alcohol. That right, Gatsby? That's right. And your chum, Walter Chase, was in on it. Happy to be. He was dead broke when he came to us. Oh, I know about Walter. I know you left him in the lurch and let him go to jail for a oh, month. He had money when he came out. I had knowledge as well. He knows things that could have you in jail under the betting laws as well as the bootleg. That won't happen. Uh, maybe not. I can see how scared he was. I hear you fired all your servants. Your new people are friends of Wolfsheim. They're a family. He used to run a hotel. And they know how to keep their mouths shut. There's been too much gossip already. Gossip about married women visiting your house? Are we back to the sanctity of marriage, husband dearest? Now, why don't you tell our friends about why we left Chicago? Hmm? Why not share that little spree of yours? That's long ago. You're all spreed out. You know, I made a fool of myself in the past. I, I don't deny it. But here I am, now, always. Indeed you are. Right now and right here. And if that phone rings and you answer, will you start talking to George Wilson about selling him a car, just like you do at home? Daisy, we're becoming unwise. George Wilson? Except it isn't him, is it? It's that wife of his, Millie or, or Myrtle or whatever her name is. <laughs> That's crazy. I know it is. I've seen her. And you stopped at her place on your way in here today. We saw you. We stopped at his place for gas. And the business about the car is real. Ask Nick. I've got something to tell you, Buchanan, old sport. Don't call me that. This has been delightful, but Nick and I really must go before someone does pull out an axe. Uh, no, don't go. Let's hear what Gatsby has to tell us. No, if, if it's more about gangsters or racial intermarriage, I Your really Your wife don't... doesn't love you. She loves me. She always has. Well, that was worth staying for. Do you love me, Daisy? Yes. Will you leave him to be with me? Yes, I will. Because you don't love him. I don't. You never loved him. You have to tell him. It's always been me. It's always been you. May I ask uh, my wife a question? Daisy, did you did you love me in Hawaii? When I carried you down that mountainside to the hotel to keep your shoes dry, did you love me then? And what about the next morning, that 
long, long sunrise. Another question. During the last five years, did you even know this man was alive? How did you meet him anyway? Did he bring groceries to the back door? Oh, don't be No, hateful. because another thing, another thing I find out is that five years ago, he was penniless. Oh, look at her face, Gatsby. Let me talk to you alone. Even alone. Jay, I, I can't. Daisy. I can't. You're asking too much. I did love him once. I loved you, too. You loved me, too? Jay, I love you now. Only you. Isn't that enough? Of course it's not. Because he wants it all. That's the hoodlum way. Well, he can't have it all. There are things between my wife and me that you can never understand. Things I can never forget, and neither can she. And we have a child. So I've been told. I've never seen it. What? Well, have you seen it, Nick? Well, no, Gatsby, I well, haven't, but... He's insane. Gatsby. This is over. But my investigating you <laughs> is not... There was something else on Walter Chase's mind, something worse than uh, than gambling or bootlegging, something he wouldn't even tell me because he was too afraid. And what might that be, old sport? I told you not to call me. You were killing, was it? <laughs> I know they say I killed a man, like they say I'm von Hindenburg's nephew or I'm second cousin to the devil. Well, I have killed a man. I've killed a lot. Jesus. In France, I took what was left of my battalion, just a few ragged and tired men up against I don't know how many. I do know this. When our infantry finally got there, they found the insignia of three German divisions among the dead, piles of the dead. Every Allied government gave me a medal, and Nick can back me up on that one, too. He's seen them, at least one of them. Daisy, I may not have always told you the truth, the absolute truth. At the start, maybe I let you believe some things. I didn't lie! I just let you believe that I was the same as you. From the same level as you. When in fact I was penniless. And before I went to France, I told you that. Didn't I? Told you I was poor. Yes. I told you. Please stop. I told you everything that mattered. Stop now, Jay. I didn't try to hide my past. When I found you, it was like I had no past. Do you understand? Yes. But I can't take this anymore. Daisy. Tom. Tom, please. I want to go home. All right. The two of you start on. The two of us? Go in his car. I won't drive it again. (laughs) Don't worry. He won't bother you. Tom, what are you doing? Is this some kind of game? The game is over. And even he can read that look on your face. He knows it's over. That right, Gatsby? Presumption all done. Sad flirtation over. Go on now. Both of you. Anyone want another drink? I may never look at another mint julep again. Nick? No. Did you notice Gatsby didn't drink? 
I don't think I've ever seen him take anything stronger than iced water or tea. Don't look so glum, Nick. Daisy will be fine. No, it's not that. I just remembered this is my birthday. Right here in this room, I turned 30. 30. The promise of a thinning list of single men to know. A thinning briefcase of enthusiasm. Thinning hair. The promise of a new decade of loneliness. But Jordan is with me here in the car, sitting behind me. She's too wise or healthy with cynicism to carry best-forgotten dreams from age to age. Now her hand touches my shoulder, and up ahead I see four automobiles, one of them a police car, another an ambulance sitting in the road outside Wilson's garage, and a group of people who all turn to look at us as we approach. That trouble you. Do we have to stop? Don't you want to know what's happened? I'm sure we'll hear about it later. And I don't want to see anything. Uh, you can go on. The road's clear now. Uh, a collision? A uh, woman knocked down just at the bend. What was she doing on the road? Running. She came running out of the garage, waving at one of the cars. But there were two cars? Yeah, one coming from, other going to New York. They they kind of wavered a bit, and there she was with her running and waving and knocked right into her. Must have been doing 50, 60 maybe. Which car? The one from New York. What make? Well, can't tell you the make. It was big and new and yellow. Uh, the other car stopped back there and the driver came running. Yellow one just kept on going. Sixty, I'm sure. Did you know the woman? Sure. I knew Myrtle. She was George's wife at the garage. I run the coffee place right next door and I was, and I was first to her. Strange thing. She was kneeling down on her knees with her head on the ground. Dead. Oh, no two ways about that. I was going to listen for a heart, but that was no use. A titty was hanging right off, hanging like a flag. Oh. For God's sake, man. Oh, sorry. Sorry, man. Anyway, road's clear now. You can go on. The bastard didn't even stop. I'm going inside. What for? I have to. You two wait here. He was going to leave her. Leave Daisy? No. Myrtle Wilson. He wanted rid of her. I'm sure he did. She needed too much of him. What a ghastly way to have a bad situation resolved. You're sitting very still, Nick. I wish I could see your face. Well, she's home. Has her bedroom light. Do you think he's in there? I don't mean in the bedroom, of course. I don't see his car. Come in and have a drink. I'll call you a taxi, Nick. If you don't mind, I'll wait out here. I need some air. All right. We'll talk soon. You sure you don't want that drink? No, thanks. I've had more than enough. Ah. I can see your face now. Didn't you tell me once you try to reserve all judgment? Up to a point. And beyond that point, you'd have us all in uniform and standing to moral attention. Moral and attention are not words I'd associate with Tom and Daisy. They're selfish and they're careless. 
You know what they'll do, of course. They'll disappear from all this. They'll hide behind their money. Wouldn't you? If you had the money? Maybe I'll disappear into my poverty. Can that be done? I'm leaving, too. A man has asked me to marry him. And what's a girl to do in these dangerous times? Well, I'm telling you now because I could see you were about to throw me over. I've never been thrown over, and it's something to avoid if one can. I imagine it might make one dizzy. There's a light in the kitchen now. I cross the gravel softly and look in. Daisy and Tom are sitting at the table. Between them are two bottles of ale and a plate of cold chicken. He is talking intently, his hands covering hers. She looks at him and nods in agreement. It is a picture not of happiness, nor of unhappiness, but of natural intimacy. Someone might think that they were conspiring together. I turn away from them. Hello, old sport. Where the hell did you come from? Just back there in the bushes. I'm here to make sure there's no brutality. Brutality? He's capable. Did you see trouble on the road? Yes. Was the woman killed? Yes. I thought so. I told Daisy that. Better she got the shock of it all at once. She took it pretty well. It all happened in seconds. That woman came running at us as if she wanted to be killed. I tried to swing the wheel, but... Too late. Why didn't you stop? Well, Daisy... With Daisy there... Maybe scandal. Will you come to my house in the morning? Have breakfast? There's a story I want to tell you. You should have stopped, Gatsby. They're a rotten crowd. You're worth the whole damn bunch put together. I'll always be glad I said that to you. Your face, the changing expressions, more images in a developing picture, puzzlement first, then something like bashfulness. It might have become denial, and then at last the smile. That smile of yours, that glow, as if you and I had been in cahoots all along. Did you understand the power of that smile? Did you know it could make a man feel accepted, vindicated? Maybe sometimes it was put on like a mask, but not always. And that night it seemed to come glowing out from deep inside you. And you look splendid now too, Gatsby. A man of honor lying in state. A lord of business or a young king. You do look young. Death. Old sport seems to have taken years off you. The coffin is the finest to be had. I made sure of that. There doesn't seem to be anyone else. Not yet, anyway. No, I haven't heard from Daisy, not yet, but... Uh, believe me, you look splendid. 
I don't suppose splendid would be the word for how you looked when we found you. What would be the word? Uncanny, maybe. Like someone fallen from another world. You were lying on the mattress with your arms spread out, fingers in the water. The mattress was moving very slowly. There was just one thin line of red drifting very, very slowly because of the flow of fresh water, I suppose, from one end of the pool to the drain at the other. The gardener found Wilson's body about twenty yards away. The gun, too. It was the car, of course, your fabulous yellow car. That's what led him to you, but how did he know it was your car? The police would have traced it eventually, but Wilson found out so soon. So who told him? Well, maybe that's Daisy. I sent a message asking her to call. Yes? This is Slagle. Got my wire? No, no wire. They picked up young Park when he handed over the bonds. They got a cyclist from New York giving them the numbers just five minutes before. <laughs> what do you know about that, eh? You never can tell in these hick towns. What now, Gatsby? This isn't Gatsby. Mr. Gatsby's dead. I'll get somebody for you. Trust me. You've been too much alone. I'm glad we had that breakfast together. That was quite a story you told. My real name is James Gatz. Or that's my legal name. Jimmy Gatz. But I've been Gatsby since I was 17. Can you see me as Jimmy Gatz, old sport? No. No, right from the beginning, I was... Well, my parents were... I don't know. They never felt like mine. I couldn't accept them as mine. Farm people. Stolid, unimaginative. How could an imagination like yours accept them as your people? Did you have the name Jay Gatsby ready for years? Ready for your moment? Yes. And while you were beating your way along the south shore of Lake Superior as a clam digger and a salmon fisher, anything that would bring you food in a bed, Gatsby was ahead of you, ready to be put on like a resplendent suit. Well, I certainly wasn't dressed resplendent the day it all changed. I was in a green jersey with rips all over and a pair of canvas pants. I always loved that jersey. And I saw a yacht drop anchor on the most dangerous flat on the lake, so I borrowed a rowboat and I pulled out to her. A Tuolumne, she was called. And told them a wind might catch them there and break them up in minutes. The owner was Dan Cody. The millionaire. The millionaire many times, from the Nevada silver fields, from the Yukon, Montana copper, every rush for metal since 75. And there he was. Looking down at me in my little rowboat. Did you give him your smile? Well, he was grinning down at me from that high deck and looking so happy I just had to smile. And a few days later I was in Duluth with Dan Cody. He bought me a blue coat, six pairs of white duck trousers, and a yachting cap. You were Gatsby. I was Jay Gatsby. And a few days after that we were sailing for the Barbary Coast. <laughs> From digging for clams to sailing for barbering. <laughs> and what about you, little sport? 
What about me? Well, from a clan selling hardware to dealing in bonds, how did that happen? Easily. It wasn't an ambition. No, you could hardly call it that. Does anyone aspire to sell bonds? Except an ambition to be independent, and for that you need money. And there was nothing you did, nothing you ever tried or imagined or just read about that made you think that might lead somewhere. I did a bit of writing in college. Is that so? I'm not. I read a lot. Do you? A whole lot. Ever since I learned the trick, I've been a reader. <laughs> Some books I read over and over. I was never going to write a book. The stuff I came up with was all too callow and solemn and obvious. But sometimes... Sometimes? Well, there might be a phrase or a sentence. Give me one. What? One of your sentences. Say one for me. Gatsby, this was before the war. At college, a boy. <laughs> and you were going to tell me about you and Dave. I'll tell you about that if you just give me one of your sentences. And don't say you don't remember. Huh? I imagine a man of such high sensitivity to the promises of life, he might be akin to those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. <laughs> Good God. Well, that's fine. That's very fine. No, it's young and callow. I don't know that word. Well, it means... I can guess. You're a watchful man, Nick. I'm not a writer. You watch and you listen to people. And you don't judge them too quick or too harsh. That might lead somewhere. That in the words. Gatsby. It might indeed. I mean, if you watch and listen close... Is there anybody who doesn't have a story worth telling? I talked to Michaelis. He was first on the scene, and he runs the coffee shop next to Wilson's garage. It seems he saw Wilson a few hours before the accident. He'd had no customers for a while, so he strolled across to chat with Wilson. He found him in his office, looking sick. Really sick? Pale as his own hair. He was blonde. Yes, I know. I told him he should go to bed. But he said he couldn't. And then the damnedest racket broke out upstairs. Thumping and crashing and Myrtle yelling, George, George, you little bastard, let me out. He looked at me a long time and then he said, yeah, he had her locked up in there. He was going to make sure she stayed there till the day after tomorrow. And then they were moving away, going west. And now... He starts asking me where I've been on certain days and at certain times, and had I seen Myrtle on any of those days. Well, you can imagine, questions like that make a man uneasy. So I made an excuse about customers and came back here. A few hours later, Michaelis came out of his shop. He'd heard Myrtle shouting again. She was downstairs now and yelling at George to go on then, go on and beat her. Throw her down and beat her. You won't, she said. You won't because you can't. You can't because you're a coward. Then she came running out into the yard, running and shouting and waving her hands, and into the road and into the path of your car. The death car, the newspapers are calling it. The car Wilson somehow found out belonged to you. Michaela spent most of that night with Wilson. He just sat there, rocking in his chair and groaning now and then. And then suddenly he straightens up. 
and his voice is steady. And he says that a few weeks ago, Myrtle had come home from one of her New York trips with her face bruised and her nose all swollen. And then he's swaying and groaning again, and I thought that was all he was going to say. Hey, you want more coffee? No, thanks. Was that all he said? No. He talked about the yellow car. The driver, he said he killed her. Well, yes. He said he murdered her. What? Well, see, I thought that when Myrtle came running out of there, she'd been running away from George. But he seemed to think she'd been trying to stop that yellow car. And it didn't stop. It didn't even try to stop. It was murder. And George knew how to find him. He'd seen Tom Buchanan earlier that day driving that car. Is that who he meant? He didn't use any name, just that he knew how to find him. The man she'd been seeing in New York, the one who broke her nose, the one who killed her. Huh. Then he said some really strange things. What things? Well, I was nearly sun up and he, he went to the window. He stood there looking out at the ash heaps and he said he told her, you might fool me, but you can't fool God. He told her, God knows what you've been doing. You might pull the wool over my eyes, but God sees everything. And... He was nodding away at those big eyes out there. The oculist size, the advertisement. Right. I told him, I said, George, that's an advertisement for an eye doctor. He just kept nodding and said, God sees everything. Have you ever noticed, Gatsby, that when you're hoping for a call and the call doesn't come, the telephone looks smug? Smug and sly, like it won't meet your eye or it may have to laugh. My mind's coming adrift again. Very tired. I should tell you, Wolfsheim won't be here for your funeral. He said you'd understand. He also told me more about Dan Cody and his millions than you did. The thing with the man was, the sober Cody never knew what the drunk Cody was up to. Both of them were lavish, but the drunk was reckless with it. He needed looking after, and Gatsby got the job. And the job taught Gatsby a lot, including stay off the sauce. So when did you meet Gatsby? He walked into Weinbrenner's pool room on 43rd Street looking for work. Not long out of the army and still in his uniform because he couldn't afford to buy regular. And that uniform was dripping in metals, rattling with metals, and he hadn't had a bite for two days. I gave him lunch. He had four dollars worth in 20 minutes. So you started him in business? Started him. I made him. I raised him up out of nothing, out of the goddamn gutter. I, I saw right away I could use him good. Fine-looking, young and shiny, gentlemanly ways. Been to Oxford. And right off, he did some work for a client of mine up in Albany. Before you know it, we're thick like that. Thick like that in everything. And now he's dead. That is a bad shock. I am completely knocked down and out. And you'll come to his funeral? I'd be honored to come. Thank you. But I can't get mixed up in it. Mixed up in what? When a man gets killed, I have to keep out. I'm old now, all tied up in respectable business. I have responsibility, and that's a thing famous as a burden. And here's my message, Mr. Merriweather. Carraway, Nick Carraway. Apologies, here's the message. Nick, the lesson for the day. Let us learn to show our friendship for a man when that man's alive, not after he's wiped out. And if there's one man would understand that, it's Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby and his daisy. You know, until our breakfast the other day, I got it into my head that you and she were chaste. That your romance was... Romantic. 
It was. She was the first nice girl I'd ever known. And I'd known lots. <laughs> I can believe that. Uh, I started early. <laughs> but with Daisy, well, I felt married to Daisy, even though I'd no right to even touch her hand. Even when I took her, I knew I'd no right to touch her hand. That's wrong. I didn't take her. She gave. I believe that, too. Actually, old sport, it was all a bit ravenous. <laughs> I remember she had a cold. Made her voice huskier, lovely. Charming. It was October. We've been married since then. No, she's not here. And she won't be here. She hasn't phoned, sent a card, a single flower. She's a coward. They all are. They'll retreat into their money, into their vast carelessness or whatever it is. Whatever it is that keeps them together, keeps them untouched. They smash things and smash people and then they disappear. Let others clean up the mess. Cowards. For all their bluster and all their swank, that's what they are. Maybe I've been one, too. Have I? Well, at least I won't let you go through this alone. Uh, uh, Mr. Carraway, is it? Yes. Who are you? I'm Henry Gatz, Jimmy's father. Mr. Gatz. I is it all right to come in? Of course. We'd no idea where you were, how to reach you. I saw it in a Chicago paper. It was in all the papers. I, I got here in time. I, I can see him. <sighs> Yes, he looks fine. I'll go outside if you like. No, no, I, I, I won't trouble you. Oh, he, he does look fine. You look fine, Jimmy. Half expect that smile of yours to turn on like electric. You must have been a close friend of my boy, Mr. Carraway. Yes, I was. As I said, we'd no idea how to... um. We didn't know what you'd want. Maybe take him home with you? No, no. He rose up in the east. Let him lie here. Must have been a madman did it. Yes. Your son did nothing to... Nothing to deserve it? Of course he didn't. Jimmy always dealt with people straight. You know, he told me once I ate like a hog. I beat him for it. But he was only being straight. If he'd have lived, he'd have been a great man. He'd have helped build up this country. My, he does look fine. Had you seen him recently? He came out to visit two years ago and, and, and bought me the house I'm in now. Since he made his success, he's he's, he's been very generous with me. Of course, when he first ran off, it... I can see it now. He had a reason for it. He knew he had a big future, had to go after it. And six months ago, he sent me this picture. It's this house. So it is. You got to make quite a success to have a house like that. Like, like this. Well, I could take you around. Oh, and look at this. It's a book he had when he was a boy. 
Hop Along Cassidy. <laughs> he read that book over and over. And look what he's written inside. Here. Just shows you. Yes, it does. He always had resolves like that. Just shows you. Jimmy was bound to get ahead. Uh, you can copy them out if you think you can use them. No wasting time at Shafter's or the bandstand. No more smoking or chewing. Bath every other day. Read one improving book or magazine per week. Save five dollars per week. Three dollars if emergency. Be better to parents. Rise from bed, 6 a.m. Dumbbell exercise and wall scaling, 6.15 to 6.30. Study electricity, etc., 7.15 to 8.15. Work, 8.30 to 4.30. Baseball and sports, 4.30 to 5. Practice elocution, poise, and how to attain it, 5 to 6. Study needed inventions, 7 to 9. Born the image of the earthy. We shall also bear the image of the heaven. The minister's not even looking at the book. No. That's education. Hello. Sorry. Hello. Sorry I'm late. You remember me? Deb Springer. Of course. This is Mr. Gatz, Gatsby's father. Gatz? Uh, you were a close friend of my son's Mr. Cliff Springer. Yes, I was. I was off in the guest. House guest. I stayed over. I stayed whole weekends. Sorry, I didn't make the house. That's all right. Nobody did. Nobody? You mean, this is it? What, eight of us? The rest are his servants. Jeez. I'll come back to the house after. I must have him tennis shoes. I'm pretty sure they're in Gatsby's place. Gats, we really should listen to this. Of course. Of course we should. He's learned it all special. This is really it. Poor son of a bitch. Nick! Hey, Nick, hold on. You're looking busy. What, you won't shake my hand? No, Tom, I won't. What the hell's wrong with you? How did George Wilson know the yellow car was Gatsby's? I told him. And so would you if he turned up at your door with a gun in his hand. I don't believe you. You're calling me a liar? You told him the night Myrtle was killed. You left Jordan and me in your car and went into Wilson and you told him then. All right, Mr. Truthteller, here it is. Gatsby had it coming. He threw gold dust in your eyes just like he did in Daisy's. And he ran over Myrtle like he would a dog. And just drove on. Another lie. It was your wife who killed Myrtle. You... I ought to knock you down right here in the street. Ah, to hell with you. You're finished, Caraway. Gatsby wasn't driving. Gatsby would have stopped. My final night on Long Island. I go west tomorrow. Go home disappear into my poverty. My last few minutes gazing out across the sound, the only light I can see is the shadowy moving glow of a ferry boat. And I become aware of the old island here that flowered once for Dutch sailors' eyes, a fresh green breast of the new world. Its vanished trees, 
the trees that made way for Gatsby's house, once pandered in whispers to the last and greatest of all human dreams. For a transitory, enchanted moment, man must have held his breath in the presence of this continent, compelled into an aesthetic contemplation he neither understood nor desired. Face to face for the last time in history with something commensurate to his capacity for wonder. So I brood on the old unknown world, and I think of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. His dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city. Where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night, Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eludes us still, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms further, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. In *The Great Gatsby* by F. Scott Fitzgerald, Nick was played by Brian Dick, Gatsby by Andrew Scott, Daisy by Pippa Bennett Warner, Jordan by Melody Grove, Tom by Andrew Buchan, Wolfsheim by Carl Johnson, Clipspringer and Michaelis by Sam Dale, Wilson and Henry Gatz by Gerard McDermott, Myrtle by Susie Riddell. And Alice by Amaka Okafor. The Great Gatsby was dramatized by Robert Forrest, and directed by Gaynor McFarlane. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.